Well, let me ask you a question, and I already know the answer to it. The answer is yes. Your answer is yes. Have you ever been scorned or rejected in love? Yeah, everybody has. I mean, that's what being a teenager is all about, right? I mean, there's nothing you haven't really lived until you get, well, at least in the 70s and 80s until you got a little thing folded up about this big and you unfolded it and it started off with some of the traditional lines like, I think we need some time. Yes, space. Oh, gosh, y'all dated the same person? (laughs) Gee whiz. Man, they got around. Okay. Yeah, we need that space. And there's all kinds of stuff about it's not, you know, it's not you, it's me. And uh, oh, oh gosh, my, my favorite, how, how about this? You know, we're going to be best friends forever. No, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're not even going to be best friends at the end of this day. We're not, that's not, not going to happen. You know, I mean, gosh, it's such a, just an awful feeling to go through that. Hey, you know what's even worse? Breaking up with a Christian. Because then apparently God wants them to break up with you also. You know, everybody's in on it. You know, how about they say, well, you know what? I just, you know, I just need to focus more on the Lord. Uh, you know, I have found that maybe the, the Lord only wanted them to focus about a day or two because they're dating somebody else this weekend. You know? Yeah. It's, it's funny now, but, but you remember going through it. It wasn't funny then, was it? End of the world. No tomorrow. I'll, you know, it's never going to be the same. And, and yeah, we, we can kind of laugh about it now. Gosh, unfortunately, though, that doesn't just happen in our teenage years, does it? You know, in our teenage years, love has attached to it things like homecoming, you know, and Friday night dates. But you get a little bit later in life and it's got more important things attached to it, like children, a home, a whole life. And man, when you get scorned there, when you get rejected there, that never becomes funny. There's never a time when you look, not 10 years later, not 20 years later, do you look back and, and laugh about that. It's, it's just such a desperate, desperate time. I remember one time listening to, to James Dobson, a very famous Christian psychologist, and he was talking about counseling people, adults going, going through that. And he was saying one of the struggles is to keep them or, or to, to have some self-respect in that rejection, because when we get in that desperation, you know, we're trying to do anything we can to save the relationship. And we just, we start throwing ourselves at that person. And and really, we, we, you know, I'll be anything, I'll do anything, please, please, please. And we lose all respect for ourselves. And the very person that's rejecting us now starts to have even less respect for us. It's just horrible, desperate human situation, a human experience that way, way too many of us have experienced and felt. Now, now why, why am I starting that way today? Nobody wants to go back and remember that. But you know, as we finished last Sunday, I, I couldn't help but think, is that, is that how I just described Jesus? I mean, remember what I said? He loved before we loved. He moved before we moved. He counted us as worthy while, while you and I are weighing what his worth is and, and what his worth is in our life. So, Gosh, in that kind of picture, does that leave Jesus over here in a corner and he, he's desperate, maybe even pathetic? Is, is Jesus, gosh, I, I sure hope they find me worthy. Gosh, I sure worked hard so that they would understand and they would, they would love. Is, is, is he kind of anxious and pathetic over here waiting on the jury to determine if he's worth it? Would you be surprised if I said no? No, he's not desperate and he's not pathetic. Well, you know, the last couple of weeks, as we've started our way into the gospel of Mark, we've, we've really seen a lot of things that have kind of pointed us to the character of Christ, his love. And in that love, we saw his compassion, even when he was 
busy, even when he was moving towards something else, he, man, he'd stop and he'd meet the need. He's compassionate toward us. We, we saw last week his forgiveness, his love leads him to be very forgiving. What we're going to see today though, in the following couple of Sundays is we're going to see the power of the son of God. Today, we're going we're gonna to see it in a particular realm. Next week, in another realm. The third week, in another realm. It's not just this kind of general, oh, he's powerful. We're going to see very specifically Mark communicate where and how that power shows up and what that means to you and me. So let's dive into that today. The power of the Son of God. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to begin reading in verse 35. Mark 4, verse 35. It says there, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him uh, them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern... That's the back. It is the back, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I'm not much of a boating person. Thank you. He was in the back, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? And we're perishing here. And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why? Are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I got up here on the screen for us a, a couple of pictures just kind of help us get in the mood. Set the setting for what we just read. You, you see this boat here. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not getting in that boat, are you? That, that, that's not going to, that's not going to work. Actually, that's a pretty impressive boat when you consider that it's 2000 years old. This boat was just found in the shores of Galilee about 20, 25 years ago. It's at a, a museum in Capernaum. Remember we talked about Capernaum last week and it's there and it is dated to the first century. This is the kind of boat that you would have seen on the Sea of Galilee. Now, nobody would suggest that we know Jesus was in this boat or, or his disciples were in, his, in this boat. But, but this was the kind of boat. There wasn't lots of kinds. Uh, there wasn't a lot of varieties. This was pretty much your standard boat during that day. And it held 15 people. So you think... Okay, Jesus and 12, that's 13. The, boat, the boat's pretty full. Now, most of the time, it wasn't for filling with people. Most of the time, there'd be a handful of guys and there'd be fishing gear. And if you've had a good day, a, a load of fish. But it's a pretty simple boat. So when it says Jesus is asleep in the boat, don't picture him down like on the Lido deck, okay? This isn't a cruise ship. It's a pretty simple boat, and this boat was on this water right here. That's the Sea of Galilee. That's what it's popularly been called all throughout history, although it is, in fact, a lake. The New Testament also calls it the, the Lake of Tiberias, but the Sea of Galilee is its most popular name. And uh, you can see I'm, take, I'm up above. I'm taking a picture down on it. I'm on the uh, east side. I'm on the Golan Heights looking down on it. You'll notice on the other side there's also hills over there. 
So it, it sits low with these hills up around it. And these hills run a long way north. And when you go about 30 miles north, when you go this direction, you're going to run into Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is 9,200 feet in elevation. So in, in 30 miles, in, in weather patterns, that's a short distance. In 30 miles, you're going from 9,200 feet to 700 feet below sea level. And so what happens is cold air comes rolling down the topography, rolling down the, the hill. The cold air is falling. The hills are funneling it and keeping it till it comes across this way over the warm air rising off the Sea of Galilee. And what you often get is very impressive storms. The Sea of Galilee, this, this lake, it's seven miles this way, 13 miles that way. It's not a massive body of water, and yet it gets these very impressive storms. Now, the, the reason I say quite often is if you lived here, okay, if you lived around the Sea of Galilee, if you're a fisherman, you're in this boat on this water a lot, you're used to this. You, you deal with these storms. Storms are a way of life. They happen fast. They can be strong. So knowing that it's a way of life and, and, the, and the scripture is describing them as being scared to death, you know we're in a whopper of a storm, right? I mean, this, this is a big one right here. So, so knowing the reality of the kinds of storms that would come along the Sea of Galilee, knowing the reality that the boat is filling with water, knowing that these men are scared for their lives, boy, that just makes verse 38 kind of hard to imagine, doesn't it? How in the world do you sleep through that? <laughs> I mean, what? how's he doing that? I mean, think about this. He would have been getting wet. I mean, you saw the boat. There's no, there's no cover. Okay, he's getting wet. There's the noise, the noise of the storm. There's the noise of these guys yelling. I mean, they think they're dying. Most people who are dying in a storm are not saying, shh, be quiet while we're dying. No, man, I'm just imagining they're, they're loud. Bail water, bail fast. You know, they're yelling at each other. So there's all, there's the rocking of the, how, how do you sleep through that? Well, apparently I'm not the only one who couldn't figure it out. I don't think the disciples quite got it either, did they? How in the world is he asleep? And so they wake him up and say, hey, come on, man, don't you care? You know, if, if you look down in your Bible, there'll be a question mark at the end of that. In, in the Greek, it's written in such a way, and I'm pretty sure we get it in the English too. It's not really a question, is it? It's an accusation. Hey, I'm looking around at what's going on here, and th this, is, this is what you do, you sleep. Hey, man, you don't, you don't care what's going on. Sounds harsh, but we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in the storm. I'm not talking about wind and waves either right now. I mean, there's the storm of marital conflict. There's storms of finances. Sometimes it's storms with children. Man, sometimes it's personal storms. You know, there's a storm of doubt, of fear, maybe a, a, a failure. And you're going through that and you're looking around at all your circumstances and they are just, man, they're weighing in on you. They, maybe you feel like you're just being crushed. And for the life of you, you can't tell that God's anywhere around. I mean, you're praying, you're, you're begging for God for help. You're begging, help me, help me out of this. Do something here. And, and there, there's no answer. You can't see him. You can't hear him. I mean, the only conclusion left is he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Don't you care? That's an awful way to feel. And knowing it's such a bad way to feel, you see Jesus stand up and just so humbly, so beautifully say, guys, man, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry that I could act in a way that would leave you with this insecurity. Wait a minute. No, it didn't actually say that, did it? It doesn't actually say that Jesus ever apologized that he let them feel that way. Gosh, hey, what's that about? No, what he does do, though, is he stands up with a one-word command, peace. And the wind stops. Be still. And the waves stop. You know, when I read that, whenever I'm reading scripture, I try to like to get into it and, and try to feel how that sounds. You know what? I don't know how Jesus sounded when he said that. Now, if he's in Hollywood and we're making a movie, you know, the camera's going up on him. He's kind of buff. And I think he says it real tough, don't you? Peace. You know, is that what God has to do? Does he have to get a big, tough look about him before he, before he gets ready to show some real power? I don't know. Maybe he just said peace. Be still. I, I, I don't know. I know a one-word command. I know a two-word command. And it is great calm is what it says there. Probably in our modern vernacular, what we would say is it was dead calm. The, 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 the sea was like glass. Now, you know, you wonder, is this a miracle? Because, you know, not everybody approaches the scripture believing in this whole miracle thing and the, and the supernatural. What if this, what if this is a, is a timing issue? Maybe Jesus isn't even asleep. You know, he's got one eye open. I think the storm's about to stop. I'm going to pop up right here. Peace. It, timing's everything, isn't it? But, you know, when you realize that it happened instantly and immediately. Now, yeah, storms stop. I mean, it's raining and, and, and then it stops. I mean, that can happen kind of immediately. But, but think about this. You've been at the beach. You've been on the lake where there was a bad storm. Even when the storm is gone, folks, look at the water. It takes a while. Sometimes it takes several hours before the water settles down. It stays churned up for a while. And yet this water didn't stay churned up for a while. It was dead calm instantly at his voice. And yet, I'll tell you something, even more than the description of this scene that, show, the scene that shows me we just saw something really supernatural and a miracle is, is the response of the disciples. As you read through this, this is how it starts and this is how it ends. They are afraid of the storm. They are terrified of Jesus. You can have different responses in the presence of power. Sometimes you can see a, a display of power and go, wow, man, that was cool. That was maybe a rocket taking off. Man, that's just awesome. I mean, get your phone, take a picture of it, you know? And that's kind of what we saw last week, isn't it? Mark chapter 2, we got to the end after Jesus, that guy lowered him down. Jesus healed him. And in verse 12, it says, man, everybody saw, man, look, look what we saw. Man, you're not going to believe us. There, there was a display of power that got everybody excited, that got everybody talking, and they were sharing with everybody. But, but there's another kind of display of power that leaves you with the goosebumps. There, there's another display of power where maybe just for a brief moment in the presence of that power, is it safe? Is it, is it safe right here to be this close, to be in this proximity to that kind, to that amount of power? You know, sometimes it's in a power we imagine. You know, God healing somebody? Well, that, that's a power we imagine. I didn't imagine this. I didn't see this coming. And they're, they're terrified now in this moment. 
Folks, our message today really is super simple. I mean, it's just, there it is, a little nutshell. Jesus has power over all things physical and natural. That's why Mark pulled this story out of the life of, the, of Christ and the disciples is, is to show you and me. He has power over all things physical and natural. He has power over the weather. He has power over governments. He has power over armies. He has power over people. He has power over the financial market. He has power over power. He has power over the rocks. They will cry out his name and praise him. Don't ever say somebody's as dumb as a rock. At least a rock can acknowledge its creator. Listen, folks, Jesus has all power. And that's supposed to actually mean something to how we live and to how we respond and to how we process what is going on around us. Look at this statement up here. Absolutely nothing. Okay, there's nothing, folks. There's nothing you've ever seen, smelt, touched, nothing, right? Nothing in the physical realm that is greater or more powerful than God, greater or more powerful than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And since that is true, folks, there is no thing. I separated it. That's not a typo. It's not nothing. I meant to say there is no thing. There is no storm that can ever separate you, not for a millisecond, from God's great love for you. And, and the purpose There's nothing going on, no thing that can happen that can separate you from the work and the purpose that God is doing in your life. Listen to me, go home today and read Romans 8, verse 28 to 39. Romans 8, verse 28, Romans 8 to 8 to the end. And read it, folks. Until you believe it. You may have to read it every day for a month. Now you're say, you're going to read this. Well, I believe, as a matter of fact, I, hey, I've memorized Romans 8, 28 once. I, I believe all this. Yeah, you know what, folks? We do tend to believe it until our circumstances tell us otherwise. And then we act like nobody's in control. And God doesn't care. And God doesn't see. And God can't work through this. Read it until you believe it. Because listen to this, folks. Jesus expects your faith. So let's go back over here to Jesus in the corner. Desperate, kind of pathetic, wringing his hands. Oh, will they believe? Will they love me? Folks, Jesus expects a faith from you. A faith that comes alive every day you walk on this planet that looks like obedience and that looks like love. He expects that. And if you and I do not come to that conclusion, we lose everything. He loses nothing. If we do not come to that conclusion, we end life desperate and pathetic, wringing our hands. He is all power. Now let's think about these storms just for a second in closing. Storms are, are, are a reality, a fact of life, aren't they? You ever heard that say, you, you're, you're coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, or you're on your way to a storm? <laughs> Hopefully there's some months or maybe even a year in there that separates these things. But, but storms are a reality of life. You know what? If Jesus had the ability to stop the storm, did you know that means he has the ability to keep it from ever entering your life? 
You know, I thought about that this week and I, I thought of maybe some storms that had hit me and, and how they made me feel. But then I started thinking about storms I've never had to deal with. Have you ever thanked God for the storms you've never had to deal with? Now, I know we all cry out to God, get a little angry with God with the storms we do have to deal with. Have you ever, because nobody in here has faced every storm. Yeah, but the ones I faced are sure. Okay, but you haven't. Hey, God, I think as bad as it is over here in my storm, I haven't ever had to deal with that storm and I never dealt with that storm and I never dealt. Thank you. Because folks, I believe God actually put his hand in front of some storms and said, no, not this one. Not this one. This one's not coming over this property. But of course, that also means he allows some storms. As a matter of fact, I would say it this way. I think there are some storms God allows. By allows, I mean, it's just the course of of living in a fallen world and a fallen body. There's some things that are gonna happen and, and he allows that to happen. Then I think there's another way you could explain that where you'd also say there are some storms he sends. He sends some storms into our life. I don't know that we can, I think sometimes we can distinguish. That's one that's allowed. That's one he sent. I don't know that, we, I think quite often we can't distinguish between the two. Say, man, God would send, God would actually send that into my life? Yeah, there's a variety of reasons, probably more than what I'm really doing in today's sermon, but man, he would send that storm because you know what? He knows you can handle it. He knows you can weather it. And when a watching world watches you weather that storm with Christ, it's just gonna become a tremendous witnessing opportunity. And, and really what we're working on here is eternity and people will be saved by that. Doesn't mean we'll have fun in it, but it does mean people will be saved by that. You know, sometimes he sends storms because we need some refining, some purifying. Sometimes we need some discipline. So sometimes he's sending it, sometimes he's allowing it. But folks, remember this, as untamable as his power is, so is his love. His love is untamable also. And that, that's where Romans eight twenty eight comes together. Man, there's nothing coming into our lives that God can't use for the good. It doesn't say that it'll work out for good. Not everything works out for good. It doesn't take long to live on this planet to know not everything works out for good. Uh, but it'll all work out for the good. Well, what's the good? Well, you, when you get past Romans eight twenty-eight and you get to verse 29 and 30, you find out that the good God is doing in your life is he's gonna make you look just like Jesus Christ. That's what storms do. That's not the only tool God uses, but storms are one of them. And, and when you are literally taking that first step into heaven, by the time that foot hits, you look just like Christ and you're going to be rewarded as such. Now that's a crazy miracle, isn't it? That's the good that he's doing. And he will use storms as a part of that polishing and shaping of our lives. So our challenge then is to hold on to God in the storm. Not, not make it worse, not make it rougher, not make it not work. But hold on to him. How do we do that? Let me give you three quick ideas. Number one, stay in his word. Folks, it takes faith to go through a storm and there's no faith without his word. The word is the fuel for your faith. The word is what feeds your faith. The word gives you the content of your faith. You don't have any faith without the word. The word directs us what that faith is. It's the word when I do, and this happens to all of us, even as much as we're trying to believe, you start living in those circumstances for a week, a month, years, and it's just pretty hard to believe God is there. And then I open up God's word and it says, yes, I am. I'm right here. Got to stay in his word. Stay in his word alone, stay in his word together, it, both. Do that together, do it alone, stay in his word. Number two, stay with his people. You know, when I was putting this series together, working on that this summer, 
preparing for this fall. I did not have this as a theme of the series, but it's kind of rising up as a theme of the series. Hey, we follow Christ together. Here again, when the storm is, is raging, when the storm is beating you down, God has people come up alongside you. Have you ever gotten to the place where you didn't know what else to pray? You got into the place where I, 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 don't, I don't have any, any more words. I don't know what else. I'm tired of praying. I, I, I'm tired of trying to utter these words and find the magic formula that gets God to show he cares about what is going on in my life. You see, that's when I need people who come up under me, come up alongside me. Hey, I'll pray. I don't know if my words are any better than your words, but just let me pick it up and I'll pray here now. See, we do this together. Let me ask you a question. If there's a storm coming, if the storm of your life is a month away, gosh, I don't mean to get spooky here, folks. You rise in a room this size. Probably for one of us, the storm of our life is a month away. Let me ask you a question. Do you have the relationships in your life in place for that storm? I'm not asking if you have a group of people that you regularly go and hang out in a building with once a week and say hey. And I'm not asking if you have friends that, like you, call themselves Christians. We, hey, we all, we call. I'm, I'm not asking about that. I'm asking if you have some relationships where there is some content. Nothing wrong with football and, and, and Pinterest and, and shopping and all that stuff we do with our friends. But is there something there in that relationship where the content of God is a part of this relationship? The things of God, the joy of God, the love of God, serving God. Is that a, is that a part of what makes this relationship what it is? Because that's what you're going to need when the storm hits. And did you know this room does not accomplish that? This room accomplishes a lot of significant things in following Christ, but not the building of relationships. No, man, I can come sit in here and be a total stranger, walk in a stranger, walk out a stranger. No, we need the smaller groups. We call them life groups. Why? Because we do life together. We follow Christ together. And we go in there and we build these kinds of relationships because the storm's coming. The third thing, folks, let, let following him be the definer of life. Boy, it's so easy that storm starts to shape. Man, you stay in a storm a long time, it shapes how you look at other people. It shapes how you look at yourself. It it can just begin to define everything you are. It can begin to define everything you do. Listen, what I am is a follower of Jesus Christ. What I do is follow Jesus Christ. Following him needs to become the definer in my life. The storm is just the playground I'm doing it this time. Or maybe we should say the battlefield that I'm doing it at this moment. But, but, when, but when I'm in that storm, the, the, the next word out of my mouth, the next decision that I make, the next step that I take, I, I'm thinking, how do I do that as a follower of Christ? This storm is for me following him. Hey, maybe somebody else sees that and sees how good and how faithful and how powerful the son of God is. You know what scares me about this story? And I'm sure it's his power. If I'm there, I'm guessing I'm as paralyzed as they are at that display of power. What scares me about this story, folks, is it appears to me that God expects us to be calm. Why? Why? What are you doing? 
Why are you so afraid? Serious? After what you've already heard me teach, after, after what you've already seen me, you're, you're still, you're, you're afraid? Where's your faith? I'm not, folks, I'm not saying it's, you're doing something bad or wrong or sinful to, ah, to get scared. I'm not, I'm not saying that when the train's getting derailed, you're not shaken by that. But once we realize what's happening, folks, it, it appears to me God expects us to be calm, to, to be okay. What if he's asleep and doesn't even know what's going on in my life? He's there, seriously. I mean, Jesus, seriously, you think the boat's going down? Come on, I'm in the boat. Really, you think we're all going down? Why could Jesus not say the exact same thing to you and me today? No, I'm not standing in a boat. No, he's not in it right there, but he's with us. Really? You think I died on a cross so this storm could just take us out and take us down? You think I saved you as a child of God so that this storm could just come through and wipe us out? Really? After what you've learned, after what you know of me? Seriously? Where's your faith? Why are you scared? (laughs) That's what scares me. Supposed to be calm. Because God's there. If I don't know anything else, God's there. That should be enough. Let's pray. Lord, could it be enough? Lord, I, I know in my own life, I think sometimes it's not enough. I... I want more than you to be there. I I want something to go away. I want something fixed. Lord, could it be enough for us that you're there? You're there in all of your power. You're there in all of your love. God, would you help us to be a people, help me to be an individual that is disciplined to be in your word. Disciplined, not just to be friendly, not just to have friends, but disciplined to have godly friendships. Friends I can lean on when I can't even pray to you anymore. God, help me to be disciplined in my mind, to be thinking every 24-hour period, what does following Christ look like here? How do I take a step as a follower of his in this moment? Help us to be that kind of people, Lord. How awesome. How awesome it would be, it could be, if somebody in my family, somebody in my life, their entire eternity was changed because of the faith they saw in me as I handled a storm. You're worth it. Jesus, you're worth it. It's in your name I pray. Amen.